Welcome, everyone. Great to see you all for week. I think it was advertised as week 42. We're actually on week 43. Um, so very, very, very excited for this week's Habura. Uh, just some quick housekeeping. We are officially launching the membership program for our new exclusive curriculum starting in July. Uh, we are launching it, please God, first week of May. Uh, we actually shot the launch video today, um, which is very exciting. Um, there's going to be a lot of editing done with the editors and uh, from the footage that we snapped and a little bit of the background into Torat Andalus. Uh, it's, yeah, you can see from my face, it's it's something to look forward to. It's it's very, very exciting. And, and we're, we're, we are so uh, excited to announce our partner in the initiative as well. Um, all will be released, all will be launched, please God, first week of May. Moving on to tonight, we have a very special guest, a guest that Rabbi Dweck was very keen, our Rosh Bet Midrash was very keen to have as part of the Chabora family, and please God for future Shirim as well. Uh, Rabbi Isaac Tawel, originally from Brooklyn, graduate of Magen David Yeshiva, uh, BMT in Israel, Yeshiva University, uh, Sim School of Business, and received Semicha from the Sephardic Rabbinical College. Rabbi Tawil is the head rabbi at Kol Israel Congregation and the Dean of Student Life at Magen David Yeshiva, where he also runs special events and chesed projects. Uh, tonight, today, wherever you are in the world, uh, we are going to be enlightened on approach to Agadah in the Talmud. It's a topic that I know in our separate discussion group we've touched upon quite a few times. So we are very honored to have Rabbi Tawil here to enlighten us. So Rabbi Tawil, b'chavod. Thank you, Sina, Birshut, uh, everybody, all the, uh, you know, Talmidim, Talmidei Chachamim also as well that we have here. Really, I'm just uh, humbled. Thank you for uh, for inviting me and giving a time, giving of your time. I know it's not easy. And, um, you know, I just hope that, you know, you find the Shi'ur uh, a little bit enlightening and, you know, just to give you more um, food for thought. And I wanted to just explain, you know, what tonight's Shi'ur is going to be about. And it's more of an overall approach to the Talmud and how we interface with certain sugyot in the, in the Talmud. Uh, I want to harken back to something that I heard Rabbi Dweck uh, say, and obviously, you know, everyone here who has been part of the Habura and been tuning into the episodes, which is really going to, somebody might think and say, oh, this is what the rabbi is going to be talking about, but I'm sort of trying to, you know, peel the onion and go a little bit deeper. Rabbi Dweck uh, quoted uh, Rambam and Moren Evuchim in the Guide to the Perplexed, uh, where we, we know that there are three types of people with their approach to Agadah, their approach to the Midrashim, really, if we're being more accurate, where one group takes the Midrashim literally, 100%. Another group takes them, says, ah, they're just... Uh, I'm an eighth Ashkenaz, so my grandmother used to say Boba Mices. I don't know if you guys know what that is, right? But they're the stories. And uh, and then in the middle is the is the way that Harambam really wants us to approach this and this topic and say, no, we have to understand that some are going to be literal, some are not, and we always have to find a balance. I less want to focus, I think we've all accepted that and we understand that approach, uh, but I want to go a little bit deeper and I want to understand, this was a, really one of the things that when I teach in my Talmud class, 
is that what are the hachamim trying to get through to us when we see certain agadot? And sometimes we read a story and we see that that's so fantastic that it's really hard to comprehend. And what we need to do is, it, as students, as serious students of Gemara, is try to break down the story at its core to be able to understand what the Chachamim are trying to teach us. However, sometimes in the quest to be like the Rambam said and being that middle group, sometimes we will pass the Peshat of the Sugya right by. And sometimes when we do have a Sugya that is meant to tell us something that is literal, we dismiss that as well. So I have, I, my hope is tonight, today, this afternoon, to get through four distinct types of sugyot together. And hopefully as you approach different, uh, in your own Talmudic studies, different sugyot will open up in your mind and you'll be able to have your own hidushim. And you'll be able to, hopefully, you know, a good teacher tries to make sure that you, you're giving this, the tools to the students to open up uh, open up doors, right? If I open up a hundred doors for you, a hundred rooms, you can only get into a hundred rooms. But if I give you a key, you can get, get into infinite rooms. And that's really what we try to do. So I want to share with you these sugyot. We'll start to do it together. And we can, it, much like Rambam and Moren Vuchim, which says that some of them we want to look at as literal, some we want to look at as in between, um, and others we want to look at as totally allegorical. Oracle, here what we're really focusing on tonight is the approach. What's the approach when I open up a certain sugya? Just give me a virtual thumbs up. I think, I believe Sina uh, put the link to the source sheet in the uh, in the chat, if you have the source sheet. So good. Thank you, Avi. I think I saw Avi's hands first. There you go. Nicole, thank you. Okay, so let's share. Okay. So the first, we're starting with a Gemara in Masechet Tamid. Um, I'll scroll down to the English, right? We can we can we can do the English um, as well as the Hebrew. And this uh, I love Masechet Tamid because I'm a Kohen, and uh, as a Kohen, just understanding you know the entire the process, the daily process in the Beit Hamikdash was really enlightening. What happens in this Gemara? Bottom line is we have Rav Safra who's sitting in the bathroom, right? So I hope we don't have such a squeamish audience because there are going to be some uh, Gemarot here that are, uh, you know, that, that, you know, you need a little bit of a stomach for. So Rav Safra is sitting in the bathroom. And Rabbi Abba uh, came along. Now, in the way, when, when, where is this snippet of Gemara coming uh, based of? The Mishnah was teaching us about the different lamps that were burning uh, on the side of the passage that goes underneath the Kodesh HaKodashim where the Kohanim used to go, because you can't pass through the Kodesh HaKodashim, obviously, and the Gemara talks about whether or not those tunnels were sanctified, uh, etc. Again, not our focus, but that hallway was lit. And there was also a bathroom where the Kohanim could relieve themselves before they went to go dip in the Mikveh. So the Gemara uses this as an opportunity to teach us about Hanhagat Bet HaKiseh, how to act in the bathroom. And they want to retell a story about this. Rav Safra sitting in the bathroom and Rabbi Abba came along. But there was no door in the bathroom. So what happens? Rabbi Abba, who's sitting on the outside, he made a noise to be able to, you know, try to, uh, to, to signal that somebody was coming. 
and wanted to know if he could enter into the bathroom. And sure enough, what happened? Rav Safra, right? There was the, the noise, right? It was like a call for a sniffle. And Rav Safra, who was sitting in the bathroom, told the person who was outside, you know, his Rabbi Abai said, enter, come in, come into the bathroom. And now when he came out, he was shocked. Because now Rabbi Abba said to Rav Safra, he said, I don't understand, you're acting like a heathen. You're acting like somebody from Sa'ir, uh, very immodestly, that you can't, that, that how do you let somebody else come into the bathroom, uh, you, you know, with you, it's supposed to be, you can't just say to come in and enter. A person has to vacate the premises before somebody else uh, can come in. You're not allowed to enter a bathroom when somebody else is there. It's very private. And Rav Safra then told Rabbi Abba, why did he want him to enter? Because... He thought that Rabbi Abba was in danger. He thought that Rabbi Abba really had to go to the bathroom. And the Gemara then comes and talks about what happens when, the, when there's something called an amud. An amud is, let's say, uh, a, 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 an amount of stool that would be stuck in a person's body that has to come out when we relieve ourselves in the bathroom. That's called an amud. If that gets stuck inside a person or a person is not able to relieve themselves in time, you can come to a very uh, difficult disease. Right, hadrokin or hadrikon, according to some interpretations, or yerakon, a type of greenness. Very, as as Chachamim in our Torah, very concerned with health. Now, that's not the piece of Gemara that I want to talk about. But why do we have to address it? Because the number one thing, if we leave anything from this shiur tonight, is we have to understand that the Talmud is all about context. The context that the Gemara comes and frames things for us in is going to lead to different stories and to understand why different stories are written in the in the Talmud. So if I had to if I had to boil down this story to to what what is it about? If somebody asked you this Gemara, what is it about? So is it about the candles lighting the hallway? Not really. Is it about where the bathroom was situate, situated? Well possibly but really here, this Gemara is talking about the value of human life in terms of danger. That certain halachot are, are, are willing to be, where we are willing to forego on certain laws when it comes to a person's health. And now off of those heels, off, of off of the heels of that Gemara, what happens is now the Gemara comes and talks about the... What happens if a person needs to take a drink and somebody else wants to share that same vessel? And not only any person, but also sharing that vessel with uh, their rabbi. So now let's watch. I'm going to go scroll down to uh, over here where Rav Huna passed this part of the Gemara where it says Rav Huna said to his son, Rabbah, uh, and he gives all the lessons as to when a person is supposed to um, is supposed to uh, relieve themselves in the dark, uh, uncover first, then sit down. Uh, sorry, sit down, then uncover yourself, then cover yourself before you stand up. And then right over here. Sorry, of course, when I clicked on it, it jumped. So right over here in this Gemara, it says over here. That, but when you drink water, it is not necessary to rinse the cup afterwards. Rather, pour some of the water to rinse the rim of the cup. And afterwards, you may give the cup to your student. 
if he wants to drink. As there was, so now this is how to pass over when I'm drinking, let's say, wine. What do I want to do? First, rinse the cup, and then you can drink from it. And after you rinse the cup, only then set it back down in place. Because we want to make sure that the cup is clean. But when you drink, that's for wine. But when you drink water, it's not necessary to rinse the cup afterwards. Rather, just pour us a little some out of the water and rinse the rim of the cup. And then you can give it to your student if he wants to drink. As is taught in this Braita, person should not drink water and give the remaining water to his student unless he first poured out some of it. So now this is a halacha. The rabbi, when he wants to give his, his student to, uh, to drink, you got to first pour some out. Why? For cleanliness reasons. Now here's the incident in the Gemara. And there was an incident involving a certain individual who drank water and did not pour some of it out. There was somebody who drank water, didn't pour it out. And he gave the cup to his student. And that student was a delicate person. How do we call that? An istenis. And due to his sensitivity, he did not want to drink from the cup. And he died of thirst. At that time, the sages said, a person should not drink water and give the remaining water to his student unless he first poured some of it out. So now we see a halakha that is actually coming out of this story. And the question is, is this a literal story? Or is this a story that maybe is exaggerated? So let's just see quickly if anybody wants to wants to jump in. I like to get a little little interactive. If anybody wants to wants to jump in, what do we think about this story? What do we think about the story? Is it? Uh, let's ask. Let's ask the rabbi to unmute. Let's uh, let's let's see. This is Rabbi Phillips. Rabbi Kavod. I think I asked him to unmute. Ask to unmute. Let's try again. There you go. Hi, Rabbi. I'll pass this. I'll pass this one on for now. Oh, what? Sorry. I'll pass this uh, question on for now. Okay. So maybe David. Sorry. David Kasudo. David. You have a thought. I see, I'm seeing people who are unmuted. Okay, so let's just uh, let's just go with it then. So, in my opinion... Well, it sounds like a very normal situation that happened. It's not Sorry, David, your connection's a little, uh, a little, a little uh, muffled. Um... But again, so in this, I think now that this Gemara, especially during Corona, we can see. I think that this Gemara is literal. I think that this Gemara, is, this story is actual, actually happened. I could definitely see a student being so scared that, that they would maybe get a disease and contract a disease that they actually tried to push their body to the limit. And uh, God forbid, or they did perish. I think that this Gemara is, is literal. And I think that this story is definitely, it's meant to be an impact on the person and say, wow, look how careful I need to be with how clean I am at the table. Look how clean, look how clean I have to be at so much that if I take a drink of water, I got to run, I got to clean and rinse the rim off of the edge. And we could definitely see this happening. I think it's definitely, this is a Gemara where some people automatically, they'll stop. Oh, come on. The student doesn't know how to take a drink. I would take it, Rabbi, if I was dying of thirst, I would definitely take the drink. But you don't know what it is to be in East and East. We have sometimes, this is this is somebody, uh, if you try to tell somebody, let's take a, again, and I'm not making any political statements here. Let's take, let's say you, let's say you 
take somebody who's af afraid to get a vaccine. You can't, you can't convince that person who's really afraid that they should take a vaccine or not. That's going to be, that's in the person. A person really thinks they're going to die from a vaccine. Try to convince that person out of it. That's tough. A person would sooner, let's say, say, look, I'll take my chances with Corona. I'll take my chances. So we definitely see that this Gemara, I think this is the type of Gemara that's literal. We just take, we need to think a little bit and try to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Just because we're not Istanis, and we maybe can't understand that, does not mean that it's not a literal Gemara. And I think that that's really very important to to do that. Right? I'm looking at the chat. Classic Kiddush situation makes you cringe, Jack. <laughs> right? Nice. I, I, I hear that. Um, and... Uh, Let's see, uh, let's, let's again, and, uh, and the rabbi saying, can it be argued that since the people involved aren't named, makes it less likely that it's, that it's literal. So great point, but I actually always combat that, and I say that I think the rabbi Hazal were always sensitive, unless it was necessary to understand who the people were, because now this person in the Talmud's name is going to be written forever. And so I think that this could be a disgrace on the, sometimes it's a disgrace to the to the family, other times it's, uh, you know, it could be, could be different, but yes. Um, and again, from the same cup instead, right? Zev saying you've tried, it's impossible. So again, I think everybody is, uh, you know, very much, you know, on with this and uh, and saying that, you know, this could be literal. Let's go to uh, Ohad. Let's go to Ohad. He's raising his hand. Kavod Ohad. Thank you. Um, it seems a little bit hard that uh, to say that he that he died because till someone passes away from lack of water, it takes a long time and if he was really about to die then he would obviously show signs and the rabbi would have cleaned it or he could have cleaned it himself or he could have said something instead of dying in silence on the side but absolutely so i see that i see that as being as as again our brains automatically go to the come on rabbi this is not a literal gemara um but i do think that maybe it could have also been not like all of a sudden when he's like ah, i'm choked up dead and he, and he goes down but you know how they sometimes they say complications due to lack of uh, hydration so maybe he got he pushed himself the way that i understand it, it's definitely literal he ended up dying from it and it was because he pushed himself he pushed himself too hard i, I don't think the gemara is going through every single step of his death but i think that this was i don't think this is a fantastic story that the gemara is trying to layer with you know allegorical um you know you, you know layers in order to teach in order to teach something that that but but i think that again I'm happy with the dialogue because I think it sees that, you know, it's both it's both sides. Let's go to, again, I want to just try to touch, again, every sugya we can unpack. Let's let's try to get to the next um, sugya as well. So here I am on in the Gemara and Masechet Sukkah. And this Gemara and Masechet Sukkah is really, you know, hold on because I think I made a mistake and I don't want to put the Sukkah one first. What I want to skip down to is skip down to your source sheet, Moed Katan, source four. Could everybody do that for me? Everyone give me a thumbs up. Let's go to Moed Katan first because let's do the smaller stories first and make sure that we we take care of it. Okay, here's one that I'm really hoping that uh, we get the same answer, but let's see. So again, not a squeamish crowd, right? So let's go. Ve'amar avitul safra mishmeh papa. This was uh, mentioned, right? Avitul. He was what Safra? Safar from the uh, not Sapar. That's a hair cutter. From Safra from the lashon of a sofer. He was a scribe, and said it in the name of Rav Papa. Paro, 
right? Paro, the Pharaoh, Shehayabi Me Moshe, that was alive during the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, who, Amma, what does that mean? He himself, right, he, his, his body was an Amma. Now, how much is an Amma? An Amma is about 18 inches. It's from your elbow to the tip of the middle finger. The middle finger in Hebrew is, is Amma. Okay, that's what it's called. That's why, because that's the measurement. So figure it's about 18 inches. So his body was 18 inches tall. Uzkano and his beard was an ama. Also his beard. Same now already, right? The beard starts here. So he'd be tripping over his beard already, right? And again, here's the career. Again, I can't do this with high school kids, but I think I can do it with you guys. Ufarmash teko. Ama, Farmash Deko is his male genitalia. His male genitalia was also 18 inches. The same measurement of his body and the same measurement of his beard. But a little bit more. Vazeret. It was greater than his beard and greater than his actual his his actual body. It was an Ama Vazeret. Zeret is a little tiny extra measure. So a little bit more than his body and a little bit more than his beard. In order to fulfill the pasuk, Ushfal Anashim Yakim Aleha. What does Ushfal Anashim Yakim Aleha mean? Right? So now this is a this is a pasuk in Daniel. Daniel says, and he is look at the English, I think I brought it here. Yeah, and he sets up over it the lowest of men. The lowest of men was Paro. He was the smallest of people. Okay, so now let's talk before we get to the, the end. So now, how am I supposed to take this Gemara? Am I supposed to take this Gemara? Let's work backwards. Whenever the Gemara says and gives a quote, let's say of the Pasuk, right? There's a Pasuk here. The, the pasuk must be fulfilled. The serious student of Talmud always looks at the pasuk and says, how did the Gemara prove the point? Which says, Shene'emar, Shene'emar, as it says. Now, all of a sudden, my antennae come up, and I have to say, how is this proved from the pasuk? So the way that this is proved from the pasuk is really, what are we focusing on? This pasuk is focusing on, at peshat level, at simple level, it's talking about paro's stature. Forget the beard, and forget the genitalia. It's talking about his height. How is he an ama? One ama person. I mean, even some of the you know a person who's classified uh, you know as a as somebody with a growth uh, you know deficiency um, you know in the United States that you know they call them either dwarfs or midgets. Though I think the midget is more of a derogatory term. The, the even a dwarf is not is not an ama. There hasn't been a person on the planet that's able to live that's that's an ama. For their entire life. But yet, yeah, that's the connection to the Pasuk because the Shene Emar, what word am I focusing in on from Daniel? Shafel, the shortest of Shafel. Shafel meaning low. So just like Parol was low of stature, so too his the type of person he was, right? He was low. He was how much was he? He was an Amma. So it's Bekayim the Pasuk, the lowest of people was Paro. Paro was low, and look, he's even, that's how tall he is. Okay, let's get our thinking caps on. And now if I try to tell this 
to, to somebody, uh, what's your immediate reaction of this Gemara? What do we think? Let's get some digital hands in here. Ohad, you're smirking, man. You could tell. You could tell me. Let's go. He's, he's ready to tell me something. Let's go. Ohad, what do you got? Yeah, I think it's not literal as well. Okay, great. So, 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 peel it. What do you, What do you think it's trying to tell you? So, what do you think it's trying to tell you? This Gemara. Now you got. Now again, I'm leading you down a path of a methodology. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think it's trying to tell you? Let's hear from you first. Uh, so first thoughts is that he's someone who doesn't have a lot of qualities. So he's small, but um, he has uh, a lot of driving force to him. Meaning, but he doesn't have a lot of qualities. Okay, and the driving for force would be from where? Where are you getting driving force from? Reflected by the other qualities that are that are much larger. <laughs> Right, good. But I'm saying because there, there's three things we have to talk about here. We have to talk about his body, we have to talk about his beard, and we have to talk about the genitalia. Okay? Now, what, now what do we see here in the measurements? Like you hinted out to Ohad, what's, what's the biggest? Um, his member. Yeah, his member. Right, excellent, David. Thank you. Right? So now, right, because it's Ama Vazeret. Amavazeret, meaning his body was an ama, his knowledge, which again, ah, gave away. The zakan, which way we're going to say his knowledge was just as small as what? As his body, but proportionately, it's equal. So what do I learn from the proportion in the Gemara? Why are we, why are we saying that the beard and the body were the same proportion? Because just as he's shafel, just as he's low in stature, he was also low in knowledge. But outwardly, his beard covered his whole body. So Paro thought he knew everything. Another dig at Paro. Paro was low in stature, but thought he knew everything. And as you guys pointed out together, nothing represents the male ego more than the genitalia. His ego was greater than all of that. And that's represented in the story of the Exodus for sure. Anybody, I mean, we're all kulanu hachamim, kulanu nevonim. We all see if we had to point to this. This Gemara is pointing it out to us that that's Paro's downfall. His ego. He was a small man and could never admit mistakes. His beard covered his whole entire body, which was small also. And that beard showed that he thought that he had the knowledge of how to navigate that situation. He didn't. And what was his downfall? His ego. His ego being an amavazere. Now, we cannot think that this Gemara is talking about, I mean, I'm sure you did. That's why they were Snickers. If you actually pictured this how Paro would look, it's comical. I mean, you don't know what he's tripping over and how small is he. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not fathomable that this is the type of person that was representing Egypt or that even could exist. Just out of curiosity, for how many people is this the first time you saw this Gemara? I'm just curious. Just want to know. Okay. So it's an important, again, so as you, as you build, again, it's all about the tools. So what did we do? We learned already so far from the Gemara Masech Tamid that context is key. So the context already of that Gemara about going to the bathroom was how lives, when lives are in danger, you can compromise on halachot. 
we saw that how how that there was a story about a student who ended up dying of thirst because they were East Tennis. And I wanted to, I, in my opinion, that's a literal Gemara. There's no reason, there's nothing too fantastic about it. The message is powerful. And even though it's somebody who can't really relate to it or they're not an East Tennis, I think we can, if we put ourselves in the other person's shoes, we can see it. Here in Gemara Moed Katan, it's a caricature of, being painted of Paro. And this, it's not a realistic caricature. It cannot be, exist in this world. And therefore, the, the, the rabbis are trying to teach us something about uh, something about Paro that's really a life lesson. Rabbi? Okay. Yeah, sure, David. Yes. I have, I have a question. Uh, I guess this is a good point. Um, what they're trying to do is to explain a pasuk First of all, from a much later period, I always wonder about that. So this, this, this is much later, Daniel. Right, interesting. And they're looking then to find something uh, in the in the Torah to to explain that. So that that's basically my uh, yeah. That's I love that. No, I love that point of view, and I think you're a thousand percent right. We always have to ask ourselves in the Talmud. Why, why did we jump? Why did we jump from Torah? Let's say the proof is from Ketuvim. So why did you jump from Torah and Nevi'im and jump straight? Excellent. I'm just going to point out something that you would have to work out over here. The, the focus of the Gemara is not the Pasuk in Daniel, meaning how do we explain it? The yeah. focus is really the Ma'amar of Avitol that's now using this Pasuk to explain it. And I think the combination of words of Shafel and from all of the people is why this Pasuk is chosen. That's as much as I thought about it. There could be more there, which I totally agree with you. I haven't really uh, delved into that. Uh, in that but again, Talmud is a yam. So I think there's a lot there, and I think that that's a very good point that you brought up. So, so what are we explaining here? If it's not, I think here what we're explaining is we're trying to go as in the context in Moed Katan here. I, so I don't want to go through this, but since you asked the question, when we're going the previously, it's not written here in the Gemara on the source that I gave you, but it was a very famous story of what's called Brit Krutalis Fatayim, about that there's actually a covenant of the lips, and. What I think that really is happening here is that what Paro really did was he violated his covenant of the lips many times, right? If we know that what happened is that he promised that he would he was going to send multiple times, and even this is not the time for let's say Hashem hardening the heart, but let's say right that he was trying to say things, and then Paro takes center stage from this Amora that was mentioning it that this is another teaching about Paro, and it happens to connect. With that, that's what I think in terms of the context, but it's really a focus on Paro's character traits and trying to understand what we can learn from it. Okay, good. Now let's go. So now it's 4.03. First of all, who's having fun? I have, I have a great time with this. I, I, I love this stuff, right? I, 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 come on, we're smiling when we're learning Gemara. This is, this is what it's all about, right? Well, I'm having a great time. So now let's go to our next sugya right let's go to our next sugya so i want to go back if you're if you're right i'm a baseball guy so if you're keeping score at home so what do i do let's go to source number two source number two is masechet sukkah so now look this would be amazing to read inside but i more want to go to the debate apart so i'm not going to read the entire uh the entire sugya but here again this sugya is amazing because it has so many, it has context, it has different aspects of, uh, 
of the of literary analysis and i think that the ending when i heard it from it's it's uh this ending was in a book rabbi meir mazuz i'm sure some of you are familiar with him he mazuz he has some a book called darkeha iyun which is an amazing book it's the way of being ma'ayin of of delving into and he hints to different rabbis who gave this interpretation at the bottom of this so this is not i wish i was brilliant enough to come up with this i was not right but i'm sharing it with you and and this this really um you know changed my perspective so I'm going to start reading this Gemara. I'll do it on the top, but we're going to try to skip. I'm just trying to see you know, when I try to highlight here. Okay, good. Okay, so here I'm highlighting as I read. Tanura Banan, right? So it's a widely accepted teaching from our sages. There was a, a, a happening that happened with Abiyali Ezer. He was going, he was resting and going up in the, Gali, the upper Galilee. They asked him 30 questions in the laws of Sukkah. Right, 12 of them. Amar lahem shamati. 12 he said he heard. Amar lahem lo shamati. And 18 of them he said, I did not hear. He says the opposite. I really heard 18 and 12 I said I did not hear. Okay. He says, I don't understand. Meaning, Rabbi, you're a smart rabbi. So if you didn't hear, you didn't hear what the law is, uh, give me your best guess. <laughs> Let's, you know, give me, you know, give me something. I, I, you didn't hear it, but come on, you, you could think for yourself. Amar lahem, he says, his kaktuni lomar davar shalot shamati mi pirabotai and mi amai lo kedamani adam. Oh, sorry, stop here. His kaktuni means zakuk means that the person is held. There's, they're held back. They're limited to say something. I will never say something that I did not hear from my rabbi. It's a tremendous lesson in humility here. I don't know how many rabbis we have with us in our, uh, you know, on the cohort really right now. But one of the greatest things that we have in our religion is the rabbi-talmid relationship. The relationship that we have between, uh, between us and between our scholars that came before us. Even if you crack the sugya, even if you have a great idea, even if you have a great hidush, what must you do? You got to ask the person who taught you Torah. Am I doing this right? Am I? Do I have the right perspective? And this Gemara, again, what's the context? The Gemara, why is it, let's go step by step. Because I know David is going to get me on this one, right? Why is this Gemara even here? The Gemara is here because of the sometimes something very easy. It's in a Sukkah, right? It's in, it's in, we're talking about Sukkah. And it happened to be Sukkot. And they were in the upper Galilee. And they were ask, asking questions about this back and forth. That's how it's introduced to us. But the rabbis are using it as an opportunity to teach us something about the rabbi-talmid relationship. And the first thing that's taking that's taking precedent is, I never said anything without my rabbi telling it to me. If my rabbi told me, it, then, I, then I'm going to say it. And to the point where they're asking him halachot. 18, I heard. 12, I didn't know. Imagine the rabbi says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You see whispers like, yeah, this rabbi is uh, really not the best. Uh, where'd you get this guy from? He's not answering my question. Right to have rabbis that would have the humility to do that nowadays would be you know it's it, it's few and far between to find that. 
So that's the context. Now watch what happens now in the sugya before we get to anything. Now he starts to go off and say um, things that are happening, you know, in his, um, you know, life. And what do I mean that things are happening in his in his life? It means that certain things that he stood for in his life. And when I stand for this in, in my life, it's going to also be a lesson to all the students. So let's, right, so let's see. So let's, we're not going to do the whole list. He says, Mi amai, for all my days, lo kedamani adam bebet midrash. He says, nobody got to the bet midrash earlier than I did. So again, he's not bragging. What he's trying to do is show his students or even show us what it means to be a diligent student. That's what this is coming from, meaning piece number one of being a diligent student Never say anything without your rabbi or having heard it from a tradition. Now here's some other ones. Nobody got try to get there to the midrash as early as possible, right? If we all sit there and fight at the door to be the first guy, it's going to be tough, right? But it means nobody was able to wake up earlier than me. Sometimes you go to the midrash and then the guy's like, oh, out cold. So the guy went to he went to go learn. He's out cold. What did he do? Nothing. Right? I, I, I did not leave. No man. You know, there's a, a saying also in like you know the American army. No man left behind. Right? I don't leave a man behind. Right? If he's old, back then the Beit Midrash was in a very dangerous place. They were in the woods or outside of the town. So. I always stayed and made sure that I stayed for the last guy. I didn't talk idle chatter. I didn't, I didn't talk uh, any of these things. Okay, this Gemara is beautiful. It says it, it says so many great things. I, I uh, you know, I didn't walk for Amot without Torah. There's so many great lessons here. I wish we can cover all of them. I want to skip down to write over here the next Gemara that comes in the context, right? So what are we been, let's, it's a lot to, to, to understand, but right now, to, let's hold it in our brain, let's summarize again. We started off right with this, with the, uh, they were talking about the laws of Sukkah to Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer was in the Gali, he said, I, I, I can't answer all the questions, I can only answer the questions that I heard from my rabbi. The Gemara then goes off and tells you what else Rabbi Eliezer said, and, and told us, these are all of the qualities that great students should have. Great students should have these qualities. Uh, and, and, and then, and oh wait, I did forget one point. What proves my point? Before we get to this Tanur Abaran, it says, Rabbi Eliezer was so powerful. What happened? His students followed in his footsteps. So this is clearly, and I'm leading you down the path, this is clearly a pedagogical exercise, this Gemara. This is talking about pedagogy and trying to tell, it's coming from student, teacher to student. Now on this, ready? The Gemara is going to continue. Here's the story where I want to know if you think it's literal or, it, or, or it's not. So let's see. Tanur Abanan, the rabbis taught. Shmonim Tamidim Hayulo Lehilel Hazaken. Hilel, right from Hilel and Shamai. He had 80 students. Shloshim, 30 men, Reuim Alem Shechina. 30 of them were so high that they had the Shechina level. Kemoshera Benu. Wow. Powerful. 
30 of them were on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of Shekhinah. Be very careful here. Not in terms of Nevu'ah. There's no such thing as a Navi like Hashem. So, uh, like Moshe with his connection. But it's Shekhinah, meaning close to the Divine Presence. 30 more of them. Right, we know the very famous story, remember? Yoshua Binun uh, was able to stop the sun. He had the battle because uh, he needed more time for the battle. And that was a tremendous miracle. So 30 of them were on the level that they were able to have this miracle happen to them. Like Yoshua Binun. And here's the kicker, ready? That's the love. He goes, and so 30 and 30 is 60. You're missing 20. Esrim Benonim. <laughs> and 20 were in the middle. Right, they weren't. They weren't low, like uh, just to have the uh, the mitz, the miracle of Yeshua Binun, right? Twenty, you know, middle of the road guys. It's amazing, right? Crazy level. Now, ready for this? Gadol Shebekulan, the greatest of these rabbis were Yonatan ben Uziel. The greatest of these rabbis of the eighty students was was a rabbi by the name of Yonatan ben Uziel. Katan Shebekulan was Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai. The lowest of these 80 Tamidim was Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai. Raise your hand if you've heard of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai. He's on pages of the Talmud. He's a top scholar. Unbelievable. Now, the next six lines, the next six lines are dedicated to praising Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai, what he knew. So look at this. Amru alav al-Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai. Shelo hiniach mikra u-mishnah gemara halachot v'agadot dituke Torah v'dituke sofrim kalim hamurim. He knew all this. Mikra, which is text. Mishnah, which is the Mishnahic text. Gemara, the Talmud. Halachot, laws. Agadot, what we're talking about, stories. Dituke Torah. He knew all of the all of the um, the grammar and all of the all of the diukim. Dituke sofrim. Sorry, dituke sofrim is grammar. Kalim that are easy and hard. Gezerot shavot where we compare two letters. Tikufot gematriot. Sihat malachah sharet. He knew the talkings of the angels, the the ministering angels. Sihat shedim. I didn't want to touch that. He knew the talkings of the of the demons. Sihat dekalim. That we got of the of the trees. Mishlot Kovsim, Mishlot Shualim, the, the riddles of the of the of the people who used to do the laundry, the, the, the women that they, they, they had the, this own code. He knew that also. Davar Gadol the Davar Katan, a small thing and a big thing. Now the Gemara then says, says uh, what is a big thing and a little thing? Skip down. And we says, kach. We say, wow. If this was what the smallest of these 80 students knew, Gadol Shebekulan al Ahat Kama Vekama, the greatest of them, how much more so? So now, what would you expect to happen in this Gemara? I'd expect the next list. Look at this list seven lines. What should we be saying about Yonatan ben Uziel? Gemara has one thing to tell us about him, and ready? This is what I want you to know if this is literal or not, and see if we can crack the code. Amru alav Yonatan ben Uziel. They said about Yonatan ben Uziel, maybe this part you've heard. Besha'ah, oh, I did something, sorry. Besha'ah, she yoshev ve'osek batorah 
the time when he sat and and learned Torah, call off sheporeach alav miyad nisraf. Any bird that flew over his head would burn up instantaneously. Two dots, Gemara over. Drop the mic. Baruch Adonai Amen What does that mean? What does that mean? That birds that were flying over him burned instantaneously. So do we think that this is literal? Or do we think that there this is allegorical? I see Nicole smirking now. She might have something to say. Let's see, should we put her on the spot? I don't know. I'm just trying to get some audience participation. No, I don't think she does. Nicole. It's, yeah, it's definitely allegorical. Definitely allegorical. Okay. We saw some pretty, you know, you know, okay, so so what is it representing then? You can't that's also a rule. Can't say it's allegorical and then just like say okay, I don't have an idea. So I mean you can't have not you you cannot have an idea, but you could say somebody else has the idea. But what so you guys are like, hey, allegorical. So what does it represent? Let's go. Asaf's ringing his hands. Might want to say something. He's not sure. Let's go. Should I play devil's advocate and just say I think it's literal? Oh, go for it. Go for it. No, I, I again, I, I, we've been, when I grew up, I thought this was, I was like, oh, I'm going to be the guy that I'm going to have birds burning over my head. You see me one day, right? I just want that power. You know, like the force be with you. Like, come on. I thought there was more to becoming a rabbi than just like, like I thought I got like those powers. But... You know? Okay, so what do you, so Asaf, why are you taking it literally? Explain yourself. No, no, I, I don't think it's literal, but I thought maybe for the sake of oh. uh, bringing a contrast. <laughs> you guys got a place. You got to play those. You guys play it. Let's play it. Who wants to, anybody, there's Team Asaf, Team Nicole. Anybody want to jump in? Anyone want to jump in? No, why should bird stuff or, uh, for nothing? They've done nothing wrong. What did you say, David? Sorry, say it one more time. No, I, I would take that position because why would the birds suffer and die if they've, not, they've done nothing wrong? Right. Okay. So, so right. So that's yeah, therefore yeah. it's allegorical. So, so, so what? So, what could the birds yeah. be? Federal hotline for sure. Could it, well, could I think it's uh, whoever Mikey Trent, when you say the birds burning overhead, it has to be a good thing. That's the context. Meaning, again, it has to be something positive. All these things are something positive. That we're, we're praising the we're praising the rabbi. This is a skill, right? Like you, you make T-shirts like, "Are you ready to be a bird burner?" Like you know, like that's what you'd have to make, like you know, in the Beit Midrash. Like, are you ready to do that? That's it's for sure something. It's for sure something positive. Okay, any, any, anybody, because the time is, uh, uh, maybe we'll do a cliffhanger. Let's see, one more time, one more thing in the chat. To show that his Torah was on fire. Nice, I like that, Jack. Great. But then I would go with David. What, what are the, what's the imagery of the birds? Then let, let it just be like, you know, like it should be. He had fire coming out of his eyes. I, get, I could put the fire in something else. There's something about the bird. Do we have any teachers in the in the audience? I see there's a Dr. Sofer here, so maybe she's uh, where's Dr. Sofer? Uh, I hate to call people out, but uh, right, I'm trying to see uh, who who's a teacher here. Who teaches? Do we have teachers? I'm Don't be shy, guys. <laughs> right, birds, thoughts, Kate, burning ideas. No, right, I love that. Love that. Definitely on the right. Definitely on the right. So birds would be thoughts. So how would birds be thoughts? 
Birds as idols. Okay, we're going to burn, burn the idols. So now, right, we would have to say the context would be if they worship birds. I mean, we definitely know that there were some, uh, you know, they, they did, they did, you know, bow down to those. But I'd have to actually go back and research and try to see what would be the connection between Yonatan ben Uziel. Ah, uh, where's Jack? Where's Jack? Jack, you got to unmute Jack because you got the answer. Right. Where's Jack? Jack, say it loud. I said the birds students. Birds are students. Very good. Again, from the context, what type of students? Uh, I'll help you out because now you're on mute. What type of students? I don't know. Flying around. Um, not good. Good. What birds? Would, what, what type of students would fly around the rabbi? The, oh, followers maybe. Good. The imagery of birds, right? Little tiny birds, right? They're very, they're very raw students. They're They're not seasoned students. Sometimes the most difficult question to answer to your student is a guy who doesn't know anything. He's coming up to you and he's asking you a question and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy, he's, he's lost. So some rabbis are going to say, I, I can't even deal with this question. Or sometimes the, the simple, and this, this is the real angle that I like, the simplest question will sometimes get even the most seasoned scholar. Because the scholar himself or his or herself did not think of that. Because we took so many things for granted. And what was Yonatan bin Uziel's skill on top of all of those things that Rabbi Yohanan bin Zakai had? Any bird that came close to him, any student that came close with a question, Miyad Nisraf, what happened? The question was answered, how? Almost instantaneously. Imagine a bird like a bird to a flame. A bird to a flame, it would get toasted. The bird imagery is... Think of a tiny animal, right? It's something small, not yet seasoned. Very, it's flighty. Their, their mind is just everywhere. And they make like these chirping noises. Like, it's constantly yapping. As the Mishnah Gavot says, the person who's really seasoned and a scholar, what do they do? They keep their mouth shut. They're quiet. They know shtika is, is, is more than hatsi chokhmah. And you know what? Some people, they love to play this. I have this in my classes also. They like to play this game. But it's an unofficial game. What's the unofficial game? It's called stump the rabbi. What's stump the rabbi? It means make I'm gonna I'm gonna be the guy that asks the question that the rabbi can't answer. And some guys they won't even think about what they're asking, or they won't even be paying attention about the shiur, but they're holding questions to be able to do what? To get the rabbi, to zing them. So really here, what's the, what is the, now look at the context, beautiful how it sits. If you take the story at just face value, what does that give me? Like David said, so what, like, you know, Tom and Uzi is like a murderer of birds? Like, I, like that's, th th nothing was added. What, what was added? I mean, it's cool. It's cool that he could spit fire now or shoot fire. But there's nothing, there's nothing really practical of, of, of what, what, one upped him from the other rabbis. Where's the skill? All this entire Gemara is talking about skill and pedagogical things and tools that the rabbi was able to have and, and why he was a great man, why he was a great scholar. So the burning of the birds is to also connect to that. It's not just some, some phantasmic power. Now, this Gemara, can I say that it really wasn't a phantasmic power? I don't know if I could say it with 
100% certainty, but I'm like 99% sure on this one that I don't think he was he was he, he was granted the power of shooting fire from birds on top of him. I think that again, this was from Rabbi Mazuz. Again, it's not mine. That you see the beautiful connection of this to the to how this was, it connects to pedagogy. It connects to the level of the rabbi, and it and it and it has a beautiful twist on why this rabbi was a great rabbi. Let's go with uh, Jack, who got the answer. Jack. Yeah, um, can I just add something? Um, so before we were saying that he only quoted what his rabbis had said, and now. Well, that was Rabbi Eliezer. We we switched rabbis now. I thought I thought he was following in his footsteps or something. So the students did follow in the footsteps, and then if you ch pay attention, there's a new Tanura Banan. Let me okay. let me highlight it for you here. I didn't mean to shut down uh, your thought. I just wanted to make sure that you didn't uh, see this. Yeah. But why did I bring the whole beginning of it up? Again, the reason why I brought that stuff, so I apologize if I didn't uh, teach it clearly enough that it was a different rabbi, but the, I, I had to give that context because why is the story of this Gemara here? Why are you automatically, why are you talk, Why is the Gemara talking about the 80 students of Hillel? Because we're talking about greatness in the, in the students and the rabbis, greatness in what makes them great scholars. So... The beginning part is when he was talking about sukkah, I will not answer anything with my rab without my rabbi's transmission. And then not only that, all of these other character traits. Now the Gemara says, I want to tell you about the, the highest level character trait. Here are the 80 students of Hillel Azaken. Look at what the lowest one, how great he was. And ima just imagine how great the greatest one is. And you know what the greatest thing about him of all was? Even though it doesn't say that, I'm reading that in. But what did the, what character treated the Gemara think to highlight about the greatest one? That even the smallest unseasoned student, when he comes with the, with, to them with a question that seems well, either insignificant or what I really think it is, is that sometimes those questions will get, they get you. I've, I, that, that's happened to me in class. A student will ask me something, I was like, wow. I know it to be true, but I didn't think about it. I don't have the proof for you. I, I don't know. Yonatan ben Uziel got it on the spot, and he burns up that question. Good, Jack? Yeah, okay. Okay, good. Let's go to the chat for a second. Let's see. Does having the power that makes the bird burn up echo back to having the power to make the sun stand still? Very very well could, but it, it would probably be enhanced because Yonatan ben Uziel is in the first group. The, the, the group of Yeshua bin Nun, right, this is answering Simon's question, that um, he would be part of the second group, meaning it would, be, it would be bigger than that. So maybe there is a comparison, sun versus fire. So both of them had fire, but that one's greater. Let's go to Michael's, right, uh, Johnny said, okay, birds as mind-wandering thoughts. Good, excellent. I think that fits in well. And Michael, birds fly in the sky, so his thoughts and ideas were in the heavens. Meaning of the student, right, so that one I would say, more that they're scatterbrained, meaning more like what Johnny was saying. If I want to have the, uh, if I want to make it true. Okay, do we want to try again? It's 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 late. I just want to know if should we try to go very quickly through the last one that I had prepared, or we want to cut it and just do questions. Up to you, Rabbi. How much time do you have? Let's hear. I got time, but I'm saying I don't know. This it's 11:30 at night for some people. For me, it's 4.30. I just had my snack. I had my almonds, my protein shake. I'm ready to go. I'm not, but I want to respect everybody's time, you know? I mean, let's see how it goes, and we can uh, take okay. it from there. All right, so let's, 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 uh, let's, uh, let's go in.
Let's get a little fan mail for one more. Uh, let's hear just from the rabbi. Could it be something different that while Yushalmin Zakai was the greatest and knew more, he was connected enough to people in order to make all of the takano. But when Yonatan was Yale, burned up students who got too close. Right, Rabbi, so I think that could be Rabbi. You want to unmute, Rabbi? Because I'd like to discuss this if that's fine. To, to, to me, what you're proposing, to me, I'm what you're proposing... It's slightly different, though. The birds, being the students, were burned up by the Torah. I mean, his Torah was was so pure and so great that right, too great. people in his surroundings got burned up by it. Whereas right. Yotam ben Zakai, who was said to be the lowest of these students, he was, we know he was the one that made all the takanot that helps, uh, that, that was able to be in touch with their society around and right. rebuild, rebuild the Judaism. So, it wasn't, so even though he was, I mean, he knew obviously a lot, even though he was below the students. Right, so that, 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 that's what I was going to say. I, I love it. I think it's beautiful. The only piece that you're missing to be able to make it work is that Yonatan ben Uziel has to be on top. He's on top in terms of his uh, Torah knowledge and his love. Right, that's why I said like a backhand. Right. Knowledge, but he was less good at interacting with people, perhaps. Right, it could be. So that's like almost like a backhanded zing to Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, like that he couldn't interact. I'm saying almost the opposite, meaning he's able to, not only is he able to interact, he's he's answering those questions right away. Right. And he was in a place... Of, for the birds to me sounds something more destructive yeah. or more critical. Uh, here it is, saying. Right, good. Let's go to Mayor. I think he's raising his hand. Mayor? Hi. Um, maybe it means it's allegorical that he has a direct connection and, and nothing can, like he's a direct conduit to heaven allegorically and nothing can come between. Maybe the birds just mean something, an obstacle in between his direct connection to heaven. Could be. Could, it's definitely possible. And again, as we mm -hmm. talk this out, so usually an obstacle in the shas would be depicted by an animal that's more imposing than a bird. Well, there was not, there weren't anything else in between the earth. Right. So I'm just wondering if once we're doing, right. There were could no be. planes, but. It, it could be. There's no right or wrong answer with the allegory. You, I'm just giving you examples of things that you'll have to work through, if, let's say you wanted to come up with, let's say, a, 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 a scheme of thought, you have to say, wait a second, why are we using, and what I'm offering is, birds has the representation of something smaller, something more annoying, something flying around you, something that's a little scatterbrained, all things that match up with students that are not, that are raw and unseasoned. Let's do the, let's do the last Gemara. Just, just quickly, Rabbi, uh, Michael Amsalam had his hand up. I just want to see if he wants to, oh, sure. uh, Sorry. to, to chime in. Sure. Yeah, no worries. Um, I was just uh, I was going to ask something about the previous passage where it talks about the, talking to Shadid, talking to Shadim. I just wanted to hear the Rav's opinion on that, like how how I don't know if you want to delve into it, but what does it? Yeah, mean? I definitely don't want to delve into it, but I'm more of a Rambamnik uh, type of guy, you know, like the Shadim are probably like wayward people instead of actual demons. But I can't, uh, you know, in in terms of, you know, I'm not. Um, I'm going to use a strong word. Um, I'm not arrogant enough to uh, be able to claim whether or not there are Shadim or not. There are crazy things in this world. And, uh, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Hawadiyah Yosef and Halichot Olam and hearing those stories from the Ben Ishchaya, wild. And, like, you're living in the Syrian community, you feel like, oh, you know this story about how the frog was uh, 
was a golem and then got turned over and then the gabai in the shul and then he was because he came back as a gilgul and didn't do netilai yadayim yeah my grandfather was there that day i'm like uli okay i i don't know i can't really say anything then you know so i there's my i had a great aunt that was 104 years old ready for this one michael you're listening to this story it was a great story my my aunt my great aunt she was 104 years old when she passed away she was blind it she she was blind in egypt when she was seven years old there was a very a disease that was going around a very high fever and one of the results was that they became blind and um she was actually engaged she was one of only girl one of eight kids only girls seven seven boys one of them was my grandfather and she was the only girl and back then, if the mother needed taking care of, the woman had to take care of the mother. So she was engaged to be married to another blind person, and they broke off the engagement because um, she had to take care of the mom. And she ended my aunt never ended up never getting married. So it was a very so- sad story. But she was like this holy person. She was like also, she wasn't like Pat all, but she was like three foot eight. Like that's how sh- short she was. She was like hunched over. And I just remember visiting her and she had every sort of superstition thing, a superstitious thing held down. She had knives in her, everything was blue. She had beads, garlic, knives, crazy. I used to, and my dad, I used to live across the street from her. We used to take care of her and used to go run food to her. And then one day I came and she was screaming. I was like, dad, this is not good. She's, she's screaming, auntie's screaming. He's like, okay, let's go over. So my dad walks me over. I'm maybe 13 at the time. And then I'm like, Dad, she's yelling. And then I, and she used to speak like all different languages, Spanish, Arabic. So by the time she yelled in, an, in a language that we understood, it took a little bit of like, first she was yelling in French. We don't know French. Then she was yelling in Spanish. We don't know Spanish. She went to Arabic. Finally, she yelled in Hebrew and we understood. And then she said, I'm talking to my housekeeper. I'm talking to my housekeeper. And she's speaking to me and she's cursing me and she's threatening my life. And, 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 and the housekeeper is, is, is a very big danger. My father's name is Michael. Michael, it's very big danger. And then this is my aunt talking. She says, and then I realize that I don't have a housekeeper in the house. And I'm talking to her shed. I was like, what? <laughs> it's the- she was having an argument with the shed of the housekeeper that she lived alone. She thought it now could be a hallucination for sure. But I'm just saying, I was like, wow, she was sharp as attack, 98 years old. And she told me that she's talking to her shed. So I don't know what, I don't know what to do with that story, but that's, um, I hope I answered the question, Michael. Did you like that or not really? Yeah, no, no, that's good enough. Thank you. All right. Sorry. But yeah, I, I would assume more, I, I like that I'm bombed that it's wayward people. Let's do very, 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 very quickly. The last story. Ready? So now, the, um, let's go here, sorry. Let's do the last story in Kiddushin. Now, the last story in Kiddushin, you also need context. Ready? The context is, Tanura Banan, Hu Lilmod Ubno Lilmod, Hu Kodem Libno. The Gemara is saying, if I have the ability to learn Torah, or the son, my son to learn Torah, the father comes first. This came out obviously not written in 2021, right? With yeshiva tuition, right? Where we obviously, but it would be a great way to get out of it because then we could say, I'm going to school instead of the kids. So now, Tanur Rabbanat says, you learn before the son. Rabbi Yudah qualifies it. He says, Rabbi Yudah Omer, in beno zariz, if, this, if this, the son is zariz, meaning he's, zeal, he's zealous, he's great, and he's, 
He's a great learner. Umemulah, right? He's he's seasoned. He's very sharp. And anything he learns, he remembers. The son comes first. Like this story of Rav Yaakov, Rav Yaakov, the son of Rav he sent his Ravaha, sent his son to learn by Abaye. Then he went to now Ravaha went to then visit his son right at Yeshiva day. Now, like I don't know if you guys ever went to Yeshiva, but like you know when you know your parents are coming, that's the day you clean up. That's the that's the day you do your laundry. You make sure that everything's tip top. Kiata when he came, he tested his son and he was like. This guy doesn't know anything. He's not, my son's not, do, not doing the job. So he says, He says, that's it. You know, I'm, better, I'm a better learner than you are. Obviously, Rav Achai is saying, so you know what? You, you switch out. I'm going to come to the yeshiva. Now, whose yeshiva was he learning in? Abayez. He heard that the great Rav Acha is coming to the yeshiva to learn. So now what does he do? Well, let's see. There was a mazik. There was a, now how do you interpret mazik? I'm going to give it to you over here. Where's Michael? I should make Michael read the word. Where's Michael? Michael, here we go. Right, ready? You're going to read the word? I have to find it here. Here. I'm highlighting it. What does it say? There was a certain demon. A demon, right? Now there's a demon in the study hall of Abaye. Let's read it in English since we're here, which was so powerful that when two people would enter, they would be harmed even during the day. So Abaye said to the people of the town, do not give Rabaha lodging. Don't, don't let him into the house. Why? Because we want him to go straight to the Beit Midrash. Back then, the shul and the Beit Midrash, what did you used to do? He used to have like a place for the person to sleep, right? And now he see, he wants him to go there to see the demon because what's going to happen? He's going to take care of the demon. So now he says, perhaps a miracle will occur and he'll kill the demon. Rav found no place to stay the night. He entered and he spent the night in the study hall. The demon appeared to him, pay attention, like a serpent with seven heads. The demon appeared to him like a serpent with seven heads. He began to pray, and with every bow that he bowed, one of the demon's heads fell off until it died. The next day, Rabaha said to the townspeople, if a miracle had not occurred, you would have placed me in danger. I was, I was saved. It was a miracle that I was saved. And now you put me in danger. So he, it, That's how the, the sugya really ends. It ends there. Drop the mic. How do I understand this, Kemara? What am I so well, Go, go, guys. Let's go. Now, with it, you know, what? What's going on here? Again, let's go through our progressions. We think of the context. The context is talking about Limud Torah. The next context is talking about a, student's, a student who is weak in studies at that very same yeshiva, and the father has to come and check out what's going on. When he comes to the Beit Midrash, he finds a demon. I'm giving a lot of hints. What do you guys think? Uh, it probably sounds to me like there's someone in the Beit um, Midrash there that's studying, 
but they seem to refer to him as a demon who comes here from all angles and is vicious in his attacks and uh, and if you're not if you if you don't have the courage to get through that then you might i don't know go off the data or something but that's where you need a bit of a miracle to get through the experience excellent michael perfect i had two explanations and that you you nailed that one on the head everybody give a virtual clap for michael beautiful Meaning, what does that what does that mean? Exactly like Michael said. This now, first of all, let, Michael, let's go back. Where's right? Where's Ohad? Because Ohad wants to uh, right. Where's Ohad? I gotta see on my uh, thing. There he is. Right. So Ohad, here you don't want to play devil's advocate, right? Or sometimes, right? As, like Asaf did, right? Asaf was playing devil's advocate, right? Where's Asaf? I gotta get Asaf in here also. A devil's advocate. There he is, right? So now. The devil's advocate is to say, no, Rabbi, that's the coolest story I ever heard. There's a, there's, there's a dragon, seven heads. It's legendary. That's a great story. But what's the purpose of the story? It has nothing to do with the story. So there was, happens to be, a, the Gemara is talking about who should come first in studying. And then the sun is weak. And then all of a sudden we show up, bam, seven-headed monster. It's so strange. So exactly like Michael said. Michael, number one answer. I, I happen to, so I, one of my our rabbis taught us, you know, answer number two, which I love, which I'll share with you also. But Michael's answer, I think, is the Peshat, where there was somebody in the Bet Midrash that was causing trouble in the Bet Midrash that was weakening the Yerat Shamayim of the students. And the way that Abaye, it's his own Bet Midrash, now he's no Geabadavad. Everybody knows in your own school this guy could have been a benefactor. Who knows? But if the random guy from outside comes to the Midrash and each time he bowed down, meaning he prayed that he would have the strength, and he was able to knock out all seven of his biggest arguments, he took care of the problem. He packed that guy up and he sent him packing. And like you said, Michael, this obviously was a very big, either a guy that knew a lot of Torah, uh, that was able, that he was able to withstand him. That's that's for sure true because he then he comes and he says, guys, if there wasn't a miracle that Hashem, I really believe he was praying to Hashem with each thought to say, give me the right answer to answer this guy. That was that without that he would have been in sakana. Ready for answer number two, just quickly, and then we can talk and sign off again. I'm sorry that I'm going. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm going over. Um, is that what do we see? We see that. It could have been as easy as saying, right, Mazik is a boogeyman, right? Thank you so much, right? It, I think that what was there, there was a distraction in the Beit Midrash. Think about if this Gemara, this Gemara could have been talking about an iPhone. The boys have an iPhone in the Beit Midrash. Now, even if there's two, now think about all the steps here. It says, how powerful was this demon? Even if two people were there, it still damages, meaning usually what happens, if there's one guy spewing stupidity, the friend says, don't listen to this guy. The distraction is so great that the guy's like, ooh, could I look at it too? Right? So it could be the iPhone. It could have been, right, if we go a little bit even outside of that, it could have been there was, let's say, scantily dressed women, let's say, maybe outside of the Midrash also. Look at that. And now he's a man also, Rabbi Han. And he's saying, look, I almost got in trouble. I almost fell. I would almost get fallen. What's the imagery of the seven heads? The distract. It's a distraction. What meaning? What would what would Michael have to say? Or what would we have to say 
the seven heads imagery is if let's say it was a scholar you'd have to say there were seven arguments so there was a lot of arguments and it was tough to focus on them in a distraction i think it works a little bit better a seven-headed monster i'm an old guy i used to play uh legend of zelda for nes anybody you guys are zelda fans Zelda's awesome, right? So I used to play Legend of Zelda on the NES. So every time you have the seven-headed monster, I used to have like a four-headed monster, whatever. You don't know which head to hit first. So a distraction is, I don't know whether to check my email. I don't know whether to watch YouTube. I don't know whether to answer Facebook. I don't know whether to answer the tweet. Look at Instagram. The distraction puts your eyeballs in seven different places. And that, and it, and it connects beautifully. Back. So does the first answer that Michael said. But... It connects beautifully that there's a distraction in the Bet Midrash connects back to why the student is so weak. Because the because the because they're not paying attention in class. They're 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 as the Syrians say, they're gazing around on the on the iPhone. And it's a distraction in the Bet Midrash. So again, now it's beautiful, and now I just want to close with this. Ready? The last thing that you need to understand. If that's the case, Rabbi Tao, if that's what you're telling me, that all of these things are allegorical, and you guys probably know this one, so then why did the rabbis tell it in this way? Because you'll remember this story for the rest of your life. If I tell you, you all now know, you all can't wait to tell on the Shabbat table what Paro looked like according to the Gemara. I'm telling you. Right? No, you can't wait to share that with somebody and say, nah, but you'll remember it now for the rest of your life. The rabbis were met, the ultimate pedagogues in understanding how to get through to a student. If I just tell you that message, you forget it. If I tell you about a dragon, you remember it. If I tell you about fire with the birds burning over, you remember it. If I tell you about the seven-headed monster and I tell you about the um, how Paro looked, you remember it. So the whole goal of the Talmud, what was the Talmud? It's called what? Torah She'e Be'alpeh? Torah Be'alpeh? The entire point was so that you'll always know how to, how to impart this message. So I think we just saw, you know, tools and how to approach this, and I hope, um, I hope you enjoyed the class, and I hope that um, it helped you guys um, understand it a, a little bit better. So I'll hang around a little bit, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys... Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you for going through this with you. Uh, some really great creativity in the chat and in the discussions. Um, Rabbi, got time for a couple of questions? Anyone got a couple of questions? Um, yeah, yeah, I got like uh, four and a half minutes. Okay, yeah, guys, any, any, any questions? Oh. <laughs> Hands up, no, in the chat, anything? I have a question. If, if no yeah, yeah, Jack. Um, at the beginning, you were saying that you were comparing a piece that was impossible to take literally because the Ahmad didn't make sense with um, another story that you said the first one could be taken literally. So you said, okay, we'll take it literally then. Why, why is there any reason to take it literally? Because like this is not a story in the Torah. This is Agadah uh, written by the rabbi. So it's a great, it's a great question. We, we do... It depends on your approach to what the Talmud is, and we don't approach it as just a scholarly book. We do believe that there was, a, you know, a divine inspiration with many of the passages and many of the rabbis in the Talmud, if not all. And uh, we do believe in transmission that this was transmitted. Meaning, what were they doing in the midbar? They were learning. They were learning these sugyot. Now, not like Amar Ravi Akiva; he wasn't born, but meaning the concepts that were there were ones that were passed down and spoken about the entire time. So for it to be canonized and put into the Talmud, we almost have to take it as like, look, it says it in the Gemara, 
we have to take it at face value. Another class that we could do another time, which is a little bit of a tougher class, is so what happens, let's say, when the Gemara contradicts, let's say, halacha. So, you know, in many in many different aspects, you know, and I'm of this ilk also, is that you got to do everything in your power to follow that Gemara unless it's, you know, really crazy. You know what I'm saying? So I, I am taking it as almost like a, not, and I think that's how we all should take it, as right there with Torah Shebechtav, meaning so we have to take it as literally as possible when we can, meaning we don't have this literary analysis, uh, latitude with the Torah Shebechtav. But as I explained it to you now, that's what we do have with Torah Shabbat Peh. But we do have it, we do take it very seriously, and we want to try to take it as literally as possible whenever we can. Yeah, exactly. All right, everybody. Was there one more hand? I thought Ohad had something closing argument. Not a not an argument, but maybe uh, an alternative. Um, understanding this of this piece that it's all about an issue of kavod and anava that the father gives up his spot to his kid out of the assumption that of the kid's brilliance and greatness sends him to yeshiva there is no reason that he shouldn't be learning but he sees that he didn't learn anything so it's the talmud is telling us that the, that the reason was on the issue of kavod in the bed midrash which is represented by the demon with the seven heads and each time he bows down which is a reflection of an anava he, he cuts down his head clearing the bit midrash definitely you see that that'd be good you'd have to work out in that construct why why is nobody in the midrash why does why does abaye actively clear out the midrash for that you know maybe we would want maybe you would say the opposite you would want everybody to see the kavod on display so that they would get that message um another another thing that you would just have to work out is also is then the sun is really not no longer in the yeshiva so I don't know how the son gets that lesson. No, the son, does he clear everyone out or does he not? He tells everyone not to give him lodging. So then he's forced to give him lodging. And so that he goes there to sleep, but it's technically by himself. How do they ensure that he, they don't give him lodging? They're locked up in their houses. They say, everybody go inside and clear everyone out. Everyone go inside, but like everyone go back to the dorms. Um, he, right. <laughs> they wake right. up. They wake up in the morning. They wake up in the morning for shachrit, and they see him. They see him there. Right. Okay. Could be. Could definitely be. I like it. Again, like we said, no right answer. You could add that. You could add that in for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank, Thank you, Thank you so Thank much. Pleasure. Um, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Have a great day.